Hi and welcome to the 5th episode of the podcast series Healthy Dose. I'm Shreya Shrivastava, your host for this episode. Today, we will be speaking to Dr. Aksa Sheikh, an associate professor at Hamdard Institute of Medical Science and Research. Dr. Aksa heads the COVID-19 vaccination center at the institute. In the first four episodes of Healthy Dose, we have discussed various aspects of vaccination. We have discussed the regulation of clinical trials, the economics of global vaccination, the ethics of vaccination, and how technology is used in the distribution of vaccines. But as vaccines reach from labs to the people, their most direct point of contact is the COVID-19 vaccination center. What happens at the vaccination center? How do vaccination centers receive and store vaccines? How do these centers register their beneficiaries? How do they respond in case of adverse events? How can the experience of vaccination centers become more inclusive? We ask these questions and many more to Dr. Aksa, who is also the only transgender person leading a COVID-19 vaccination center in India. Dr. Aksa speaks about her day-to-day experience of heading a vaccination center and how her own history of COVID-19 helped her become a more empathetic administrator and doctor. I can't wait to share this very special interview with you. So let us dive right in. Welcome to our podcast, Dr. Aksa. So glad to have you with us. Uh, thank you so much, Shreya. It's really a pleasure to be talking on an issue which is so close to my heart as well as, you know, a very burning topic in the current scenario. Instead of diving right into the world of vaccines, let's talk a little bit about your journey as a medical doctor and how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted it. I did my uh, MBBS and MD from Mumbai, from KM Hospital and Sage GS Medical College. And I'm very happy to know that my former dean was a speaker in the previous podcast. And um, post that, I've been working in the nonprofit sector for a few years before switching on to the academics um, in the medical college. And I'm also involved right now in the implementation uh, in terms of the COVID vaccination program, as well as in the COVID vaccine trials. The medical journey has been challenging, but it's really, you know, exciting to be in 2021, a year in which we have been able to launch vaccines in the shortest possible time ever in the history of the mankind. And a tool which is, you know, a boon to the mankind in the sense that it's one of the strongest tool for protection against uh, infectious diseases that we have with us. As far as, uh, you know, dealing with the COVID times is concerned, 2020 has been a challenge for all of us. Uh, So it was for me too. And uh, unfortunately, in September 2020, I too suffered from COVID infection and had to be hospitalized for 10 days for it. And those 10 days, you know, were spent in a lot of introspection in uh, developing empathy for other COVID patients and Once I was discharged from that, I really engaged myself into research work and into the uh, surveillance and vaccination programs. And uh, this has brought me here today, you know, being the nodal officer of a COVID vaccination center. And if I may add also, you know, the first and the only transgender person to head a COVID vaccination center. 
I, I was just going through your social media and like your tweet when you had tweeted about, you know, that if you could claim to be the first transgender person to head a vaccination center and the only one, your inbox was flooded with multiple congratulatory messages. But as you said, it also uh, shows the reality that out of 130 crores people in India, like you are the only one doing that. I wanted to know that how your experience has been heading this vaccination center. This is like a public facing opportunity. So how you're using this opportunity to create awareness and sensitization? Uh, as you correctly mentioned, you know, it has been really a blessing to be heading a COVID vaccination center, especially as someone who has had the experience of being a COVID patient myself and also as someone who comes from a marginalized group. And I have really uh, taken this opportunity and embraced it and tried to, um, you know, use my experience of minority stress and making sure that I create an open and a safe space uh, for not just uh, the gender and the sexual minorities, or, but for everyone, you know, who is suffering either because of uh, the issues of ability or other vulnerabilities. Uh, it, it's really a very challenging position, especially since the rollout of the vaccine has been done at breakneck speed in India. You know, we started vaccination program on 16th of January and um, we were one of the first centers in Delhi to start vaccinating. The SOPs and the protocols, they all developed overnight. We were all learning, um, you know, as we were doing things. So it has been a very challenging thing, especially since it's a public-private partnership. We are a private vaccination center and the program is uh, basically managed by the government. So it was a great learning experience in that sense. And, you know, also the challenges which came up every day and, you know, solving those challenges that really gave us a high at the end of the day. And, you know, as the program is evolving, it's now more than two months and every now and then, you know, the categorization changes, the eligibility criteria changes. We keep on getting new information about the vaccines. You know, there are new adverse events which keep coming to the notice. There are new mutant strains coming and there are questions if the vaccine is effective against them or not. So it's a you know job in which you can't really get complacent. You have to be on your toes and you have to keep learning and you have to keep answering. And one of the important jobs that I have to do here, you know, is to allay the anxieties and the fears of the people who want to get vaccinated. In the supply chain of vaccines, the vaccination centers being the final point of delivery, how the logistics of this works. If you could please tell our listeners a little bit about how in terms of supply, storage and distribution of vaccines at the vaccination centers, how it works logistically. Uh, you've asked a very pertinent question and I think you know it's also important for the common people to understand the amount of effort which goes into developing and transporting the vaccines before it's made available to the beneficiaries. So as I mentioned, this is the fastest ever in the history of mankind that we have developed a vaccine uh, from the scratch. And all of these vaccines go through animal studies and then they go through human clinical trials. Uh, we have phase one, phase two and phase three trials. Most of the people have heard these terms now. And uh, only when the vaccines clear these trials then they are approved and, uh, you know, then they're produced uh, for the mass level and um, supplied to the people. Now, when it comes to the vaccines, for example, we have Covaxin and Covishield vaccines in India. These are manufactured in places like Pune and Hyderabad. And then these are transferred through um, cold chain systems, which involve aircrafts, cargo systems, which are completely, you know, in the temperature range of 
sometimes even less than zero degree Celsius. And they have to be kept in the two to eight degree Celsius temperature all throughout. These come to the uh, state hubs. So for example, giving the example of Delhi, all the doses which come to the Delhi, they come to a central point or the state hub. And from there, these are then transferred to the various district offices through, again, uh, refrigerated uh, vehicles. And this is all done, you know, with strict security protocols. Uh, they are escorted by the police because each of these vials is very expensive, not just in terms of money, but also in terms of the number of lives that it can save. And there's also concern about replacement of the vaccine vials with the, uh, you know, duplicate vaccines or something of that sort. So it, it's done with a very high level of security. Most of the districts, for example, now in the Southeast District, there's a new system uh, which has been developed of cold chain completely. So though we did have the uh, old cold chain system in place, for COVID, an entirely new cold chain system was established at the district headquarters in the district uh, magistrate's office, for example. And from there, these vaccines are supplied to you know, almost 50 to 60 uh, vaccination centers, which may be present in that district. Some of the districts are more than 100 vaccination centers. And all this happens completely in cold chain under police escort with a lot of security. Some hospitals do have their own cold chain points. Some of them uh, do not have the cold chain points. So from the district, it comes to the hospital cold chain points. And from the hospital cold chain points, every day the vaccines are taken to the vaccination center the used vials are discarded and the unused vials are brought back to the vaccination center. So it's a huge cold chain management system which is in place uh, for ensuring that you get the right vaccine and at the uh, safe and reporting vaccine also. This is a really new information. We've been uh, hearing that we are using the existing infrastructure under the universal immunization program for COVID-19 vaccine distribution as well. But it's uh, really good to know that like we have also developed new cold chain systems, particularly for the distribution of this vaccine. This brings me to my next question, Dr. Aksa, that how... Uh, has the response of public been at the center, like given that you are the final contact point between this public health delivery system and the public itself, what has your experience been interacting with the public and as you mentioned earlier, resolving their anxieties about vaccination? Uh, when it comes to the vaccine beneficiaries, as you know that in the first phase, we started with the vaccination of the healthcare workers. And later on, we moved to the vaccination of the frontline workers. And finally, on the 1st of March, we started vaccinating uh, those who are elderly or those who are in the middle ages with comorbidities and so on. Now, initially, when the vaccines were launched, these were launched in... Um, emergency use authorization and one of the vaccines, co-vaccine, was in the clinical trial mode, which means the informed consent was taken from every participant who wanted to take the vaccine. Now, since a lot of uh, safety and efficacy data was not completely available in public domain and it was not published in peer-reviewed journals, uh, there were hesitations amongst the healthcare workers who have a little scientific knowledge about vaccines and their efficacy and safety trials. So in the initial phase, at least, you know, we saw that a lot of people were very hesitant to take vaccines or they wanted to take, for example, Covishield vaccine, which had some phase three trial results that compared to Covaxin, which was conducting the phase three trials simultaneously. 
So we also saw a lot of vaccine hesitancy, you know, um, even for the Covishield vaccine, which had the evidence. Because it's a new product and in um, January when the vaccines were launched, we were having relatively low numbers for COVID cases. So complacency had developed in the people. They thought, oh, the pandemic is waning and we do not need the vaccines now. Some of the healthcare workers, almost 30-40% of our healthcare workers have been already exposed to COVID and have antibodies against it. And therefore, they had more reason you know, to delay the vaccination or not to take vaccination. However, we have been trying to uh, talk to the healthcare workers, you know, trying to allay their anxieties and providing the immunological basis for taking the vaccination, even if they have had COVID infection or even if they have been exposed to the uh, COVID patients. Uh, slowly and steadily, we have seen that the healthcare workers have started taking vaccinations, but we had to deal with a lot of rumors and misinformation, um, you know, outbreaks which happened. For example, a lot of nurses um, in uh, our place did not take the vaccine because there was a rumor that this vaccine causes infertility in women of reproductive age group. And therefore, you had a huge cohort of nurses, you know, which was left unvaccinated because they had these unfounded fears present. Similarly, the vaccine is not uh, indicated in women who are breastfeeding or who are pregnant. And therefore, a substantial number of our nurses, again, were left out of vaccination. Uh, later on, you know, when the frontline workers um, were included, again, the same problem persisted. Now, many of the frontline workers do not have the same level of scientific temperament or literacy as in the case of the healthcare workers. So it took even more effort, you know, to make them understand the immunological basis or the safety of the vaccines. And now we finally have the elderly. Uh, fortunately, we sometimes see that a lot of elderly are very enthusiastic and gung-ho, you know, about taking the vaccines uh, because for them, it's finally that they'll be able to step out of the houses or we'll be able to meet their grandparents freely once they have taken the two shots of the vaccine. So it, there's a lot of optimism in the elderly people, at least I must say, about the vaccination when it comes. And fortunately, we're also seeing that the elderly do not have much AFI or uh, much of the adverse events that we used to see in the young people. So that has also added to the public confidence uh, in the vaccines. I'm glad that you also mentioned, Dr. Aksa, about adverse events. And I was also wondering that like how uh, you deal with adverse events, if there are any instantly or even later on, then how do you follow up with that from the vaccination center? Fortunately, we do have a lot of experience in dealing with the adverse events following immunization in our national immunization schedule or the childhood immunization program that we have been running, which has injectable vaccines also, and uh, also with the uh, pregnant females immunization program. So there is an EFI system which was already in place and we just had to strengthen it and, you know, redesign it to deal with the COVID vaccination. So uh, when it comes to the adverse events following immunization, all the vaccine beneficiaries post-injection are observed for 30 minutes in the observation room, which are inbuilt into the vaccination centers. And all these observation rooms do have the AFI or the anaphylaxis kit, which has adrenaline, which is the drug of the choice for dealing with the anaphylactic reactions. And all the nurses have been trained into administering this shot. In addition, all of these AEFI-related cases can be also referred to the AEFI link facility, which is generally a hospital of tertiary level, which is equipped to manage with such cases. There's a CATS ambulance or a private ambulance, you know, which is generally stationed at all the vaccination centers so that within a few minutes, the person can be transferred to the uh, link facility. 
So all these places have been put in place, but um, you know we do know that EFI can happen anytime, and therefore it's very important that these staff on site is trained, and that's a continuous process of training and retraining the staff for giving the vaccination. Uh, when it comes to the reporting of the adverse events following immunization, uh, this is inbuilt in the COVID app uh, for the reporting of the EFI. So all those EFI which happen within 30 minutes, which are in on-site EFI, these are reported directly over there. And even those which happen post 30 minutes are reported to the AM because the SMS which the beneficiaries get that has the number of the nurse who had vaccinated the person. So they can report the adverse event to that nurse and she can ensure that it is entered into the COVID portal. All the AFIs are monitored by the district immunization officer and later on by the state immunization officer. And in case of any death or any severe uh, adverse reaction, uh, this is dealt with by the committee, which is made for the same purpose. Dr. Atsa, you also mentioned given we have only two vaccines right now, COVID Shield and Covaxin, and particularly people were reluctant uh, to take Covaxin because it was in the clinical trial mode and we did not have enough data about its efficacy. We discussed this earlier also in our first episode with Dr. Sheet Sagar and Dr. Dhani Mehta. Now the efficacy results, like at least the initial efficacy results for, for, from co-vaccine trials are out and also the nature of approval has been changed from clinical trial mode to the restricted emergency use. So how has it changed the protocol regarding the delivery of co-vaccine? So previously when co-vaccine was in the clinical trial mode, uh, every vaccinated person had to be administered an informed consent. And then they were also monitored for a long-term period for the development of the adverse events following immunization or any other effects. However, now since it is only in the emergency use authorization, similar to the Covishield vaccine, there is no need of taking the informed consent and also the monitoring post-vaccination is also the usual 30 minutes or later on the usual monitoring and not in the clinical trial mode. This has really made you know, uh, the vaccine delivery and the implementation of the program much easier at the field level because then you need lesser number of staff and also you can vaccinate faster uh, because the general 15 to 20 minutes which is required for the administration of the informed consent is not needed now. Also, uh, the acceptance of the vaccine has improved a lot uh, post the approval of the vaccination. So we see a lot of people now, you know, opting for co-vaccine in place of the Covishield vaccine, which unfortunately had a doubt raised on it regarding the blood clots recently, and it is still fighting that controversy. Also, the efficacy of co-vaccine has been found to be slightly better than Covishield. And, uh, you know, people have a tendency to compare the numbers of these vaccine efficacies, and therefore some people are preferring uh, co-vaccine over Covishield. But I would suggest that people should take whatever vaccine is available to them without much delay. We need to develop herd immunity as soon as possible. And for that, please just go ahead and take whatever vaccine is available to you and if you're eligible. We have been seeing from your social media also that you have been appealing to take vaccines. And like given now the rising number of COVID-19 cases, I think this is the time we really need to get serious about it. We also spoke to Dr. Sharma and Dr. Sharma earlier pointed out that there are many challenges that we are facing currently in the rollout of these vaccines, given this is the world's largest rollout of COVID-19 vaccine. And uh, some of the challenges he mentioned. 
were like the diversity of population and the reach of vaccines in remote and rural areas. Dr. Sharma also mentioned that, you know, technology has played a really important role in making vaccines reach people to the remote areas. So wanted to know from you, Dr. Aksa, that, you know, how technology and data management has helped in facing some of the on-ground challenges at the vaccination center, particularly with respect to registration, dosages, follow-up, etc. We had the experience of the EWIN app, which was used for cold chain monitoring. And uh, when the COVID vaccination program was launched, we developed what is known as the COVID application or platform for registering for the vaccination, for verification of the vaccine beneficiaries, for recording of the adverse events uh, following immunization and also for the other data management purpose. Now, since the app was developed on the go, you know, as the program was launched and new features were added to it every weekend, literally. So uh, there were initially some problems uh, in the rollout of the app as the new features were added. But what we found is that uh, the app has really ensured that there is authentic delivery of the vaccine uh, to the purple, uh, to the persons who are eligible for it. Uh, when it comes to vaccines, you know, or any such large-scale program, there are generally accusations of, you know, people who are not eligible getting the vaccines or people who are eligible not getting the vaccines. So the app has really played a role in ensuring that there's no duplication and there's proper authentication of the persons for taking the vaccine. However, whenever such apps are developed, there are always issues of, you know, data privacy. There are issues about um, uh, broadband, there are issues about internet connectivity, especially in the rural areas. So all these issues have been there. Fortunately, uh, the lockdown period had ensured that most of the people had switched on to some kind of smartphones or devices. A lot of people had also subscribed to more internet connectivity. The Wi-Fi penetration is increasing. So all these background things have really helped in ensuring that the COVID platform can be used. Also in the initial phases, all the uh, vaccine uh, centers were located in the hospitals in most of the urban areas. And that has also helped us, you know, in gaining the experience about the vaccination program before it reached the rural areas and primary healthcare centers. But we do face the issues of technology and also people, uh, you know, generally have hesitation in using technology when it is linked to Aadhaar. So as you know that in the COVID platform, along with the um, registration for the vaccine and along with the verification, you also have an option of creating the universal health ID. And there is a separate consent for every beneficiary when that universal health ID is created. But um, how many people are really aware about it? And is that consent really taken from the people? So there have been issues of how this data is going to be used since there are a lot of private players also involved in the development and the management of the COVID app. How this data is stored? Is it Amazon Web Services? You know, so what are those? So there are a lot of these uh, unanswered questions because of which people may not have faith or may be reluctant in using Aadhaar as a mode of verification. Uh, but yes, the app has played a great role in ensuring the fast delivery and ensuring equitable distribution of vaccine. Right. I'm glad, Dr. Aksa, you mentioned some of the issues related to privacy and uh, data that people have been raising. So what do you think we could do better to make this platform more inclusive, more accessible, and it can be more informed, particularly for people who are not aware about it entirely? 
if I speak from the perspective of gender, the vaccine system does have the gender male, female and the others included. Also, all the IDs which we are using for the verification do have some form of inclusion of the transgender persons also. There is also a host of IDs which can be used, which ensures that Aadhaar is not the only ID which is enforced for use. However, there is a general focus on using of the Aadhaar as a mode of verification so that the universal health ID also can be created of the persons. Uh, when it comes to the inclusion of persons with disabilities, uh, unfortunately, this is where we are lacking. Though there is an effort to ensure that these COVID vaccination centers are accessible to persons with physical disability or locomotor disability, what about the accessibility of these centers by persons with different forms of disability, like speech impairment or hearing impairment, persons with intellectual disability and so on? So this is really a question, you know, about complete inclusion uh, of the persons with various kinds of disability. Also, most of the IEC material, for example, which is used is either in Hindi or English or one of these state languages. But what about persons, let's say, with visual impairments? Do we have any poster in Braille, for example? Or how many of the audio messages or audio systems are in place, you know, at the COVID vaccination center for the persons with disability? So without a SCOT or without a support system, it's really very difficult for persons with disability to access these vaccination centers. And it's left really to that vaccination center to uh, increase the accessibility issues. So this is one of the points, you know, which can be really included uh, as we go along in our vaccination program to make it more inclusive. This is a really important point that you raised, Dr. Aksa, about uh accessibility and inclusivity of persons with disability in the whole vaccine ecosystem. And given how the number of cases are rising and the categories of people who are currently eligible for vaccines is limited, I wanted to understand from you that where we are at the production of vaccines currently and whether we have reached that stage where we can make it open for other categories as well. So recently, the government has um, increased the age limit. And uh, now people who are 45 years or above can get vaccinated, even if they do not have any comorbidity present. And that's really a welcome change in view of the second wave. However, many of the states have demanded that it should be 18 years and above. Since the middle age of, you know, the 18 to 45, which is left out in the current scheme, is the one which is actually going out and working and is the economically productive age group and also now the age group which is affected a lot in even having mortality a lot you know as we see in some of the states like Punjab. However we do not uh, expect really the government to decrease the age limit to 18 years at least uh, in the month of April and one of the issues for that of course is the supply of the vaccines. Currently only two vaccines are approved for use that is Covishield and Covaxin. Probably uh, adding more vaccines to the basket would ensure that, you know, we have more options to order and therefore the supply is not really an issue. Similarly, India is the world's largest manufacturer of vaccine and we have been giving vaccines to the COVAX facility of World Health Organization. We have been also giving vaccines as part of the diplomatic relationship building, uh, the vaccine maitri program to a lot of countries in Africa, a lot of countries in Southeast Asia and so on. 
And as a result of this, it also compromises on the domestic supply of the vaccines. So we need to really ensure that we are able to balance the two, the domestic supply as well as the international diplomatic supply of the vaccines or as part of the WHO COVAX facility, so that there is equitable access to the vaccine. India is a middle-income country, and we know that a lot of people uh, in terms of population you know, may have to wait for at least two years to get vaccinated if we go at the current pace of vaccination. And here we have lessons to learn from a lot of countries like you know Israel or UK and USA, which have done quick vaccination of its large number of population. So yeah, I mean, uh, when it comes to the supply, it's always a challenge, though we may say that you know we have a lot of stock of the vaccines, but since the demand is increasing day by day and we want to do as quickly as possible, including more vaccines in the basket and also ensuring the domestic supply gets a priority over the international supply can help in dealing with this problem. I think we can end on that a very hopeful note that we need to find a balance between, you know, the domestic supply and also our international diplomatic relations. So uh, at the end, I wanted to know from you what your learnings have been from this entire experience of the pandemic and vaccine delivery and how like we can learn lessons from the current pandemic to the future ones. The journey of vaccine development has been, you know, really, really very heartwarming in terms of how a disease which had, you know, um, literally wreaked havoc on the humanity and millions of people have died. And now we had a hope in the form of the vaccine. But it is also, you know, very disappointing to see that a lot of people who were waiting for that miracle, you know, silver bullet of the vaccine are now hesitant to take the vaccine. And this includes some of our peers, doctors and nurses who have also, you know, lost their near and dear ones in the pandemic. So my important learning for this, you know, is that when diseases come, the human beings also exceed their limits and come out with, I, I would only call it a miracle in terms of the vaccine. But then it's also upon us, you know, to accept these things and to have faith in science, to have faith in the vaccines. Uh, just to mention a recent uh, incident where a chief minister of one of the states had said that faith will overcome the fear in the COVID. And then two days later, the same person came down with COVID. So this is the message, you know, that I want to really give to the people that have faith, but do not have blind faith. You know, have faith in science, have faith in the human efforts, have faith in the governments. Though I know it's difficult at the current point, but do have faith in the vaccine supply system. And as someone who is part of the vaccination program, I'll only say this, that a lot of effort has gone into it. So please make sure that you get vaccinated if you can. It's not only going to protect just you, but also your near and dear ones who are very precious. So just go ahead and get vaccinated is what I say to everyone. Talking to Dr. Raksa was incredibly enriching and heartwarming at the same time. Dr. Aksa gave us a valuable insight into how a vaccination center is run and what does it take for the vaccine to reach you. But more importantly, the interview with Dr. Aksa reinforced the necessary yet revolutionary nature of the practice of empathy in caregiving. We owe a lot to healthcare workers and caregivers like Dr. Aksa who put themselves in risky situations for the greater good. This brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you for tuning in. 
So far in the series of healthy dose we have talked about how the vaccine reaches from the labs to the people but what happens after you have taken the vaccine in the sixth and the final episode of the season 1 of healthy dose we will speak about international geopolitics and how it is being shaped by whether or not you get a vaccine we will be speaking about the legal ethical and geopolitical implications of vaccine passports with Madhvi Sengutwan. Madhvi is a doctoral candidate and a research associate at the Center for Biomedical Ethics, National University of Singapore. To hear more, tune in to the final episode of Healthy Dose next Tuesday. You can find us on SoundCloud and Spotify as Vidhi Center for Legal Policies podcast. You may also listen to us on Google Podcasts or iTunes. Don't forget to grab your Healthy Dose next Tuesday.